Welcome to Flower of Light podcast. This is Carmen Fernandez, your host. And today I am with Martin Kelly. Martin is a tourist guide and historian, and he's a brilliant storyteller. Thank you, Martin, for, for being on the show. Oh, delighted to be here, Carmen. Thank you for asking me. And today we're going to talk about something um, very seasonal because we're approaching the, the end of the Celtic year. Um, and so Martin is here to talk about uh, traditions and stories that are um, in the Celtic culture and that no many people know. Uh, and we want to bring some light on these on this, uh, stories. And, some, and we talk and talk about uh, Celtic uh, stories and culture and history. Yes, lovely. Thank you, Carmen. Um, it's, there, there are so many stories and so many different versions of the same story. And that's what we have in Ireland. So many even regional variations in the traditions. And even if you look at something like the Celtic cross, all around the country, different different shapes and different traditions. And certainly for the, for the Samhain, the festival of Samhain for the new year, the things people would do in different parts of the country were just hugely different. So it's, it's such a, a wide variety of, of traditions and cultures. And Samhain, the, the name, you know, it means the end of summer, summer's end, Samhain. So it's, it's got a, a finality to it and a, a certain negative really. The full name of Samhain in Irish is Samhain Vuranar, the cold Samhain of death. So it is a time for renewal and it's, it's the end of the year and the beginning of the new year, but it had that atmosphere to it that this was the beginning of the, the dark times. So all the animals would be brought in you know, people would, would hibernate, really. Um, the children would be covered in goose grease to keep them cozy and safe. And Mother Nature would be drawing all the energy back out of the leaves of the trees and casting off the, the dead leaves, if you like. And the harvest would be taken in and stored safely, hopefully, so that then you know, the, the produce of Mother Nature could be re-released into the world and the positive energy given back out in spring. So it was a, a time of year for rethinking, a time of year when a lot of old animals and old people did die. So it, it was a, an important change in, in, in the lives of people. And so on is, is the original name of this festivity and now it's called more kind of Halloween, right? Yes, and there's, there's a long story to go with that as well, if you like. And again, going back to the whole settlement of Ireland, if you'd like to hear that one. Mm -hmm. Again, this is a story written down by, by young monks, probably back in the 7th or 8th century first, and then versions of it have been rewritten and rewritten and rewritten over the centuries. But it is just very important to remember the people who are writing these stories. Young men, boys, a lot of the time, lonely, missing their parents, taken away from their mothers, 
locked up in this monastery, freezing cold, couldn't see properly, frustrated and unhappy. And then, you know, the, the inks that they're using to write are all made of lead and arsenic and various, you know, plants and mushrooms that were highly hallucinogenic and dangerous, really. So they were tripping out of their heads. You know, they were very spaced out when they were writing this. Sorry. Sorry about that. And they would, you know, be in a, in a, in a very difficult state, as you can imagine. So you have to take all that into account when you're, you're listening to these stories. But the way that the Christians adapted the sort of traditional stories of Ireland into biblical numbers and biblical imagery was very interesting. They chose that there were seven peoples to come to Ireland and that the first peoples to come to Ireland, the first settlers, were, it was a group of people who were organized by the people who were going to be left behind from Noah's Ark. If you remember the flood and Noah's Ark, mm -hmm. the, the, the granddaughter of Noah, um, she realized that she was going to be left behind and she was obviously a very strong woman. Kezer, Cesar was her name, and she was the, the, the daughter of, you remember Noah's sons, he had, he had lots of, of children and only the favored ones were to be brought with him, those who were without sin. So it was organized by, by Cesar and her three uncles, and they brought with them 50 women. So they set off in a boat. 40 days before the great flood and had lots of travels, you know, all around and eventually ended up in Ireland where they landed, we're told, in, in Kerry and spread out from there. But the, the problems arose when the three brothers had to divide up the 51 women. They couldn't agree as to who got the most. I mean, 51 is, is an awful lot of women. Uh, but if you divide it by three, you get what, 16, uh, 17? That's, uh, so they, they then spread out and you have, again, all these stories going on about their adventures and how, yeah, they, they encountered different difficulties. And eventually you have the, the two brothers, two of the brothers dying and all the women then congregating with the one Ladra, who was the, the king. And he then is overcome by too many women. So he, he runs off to an island, but the women follow him. And then he decides he just can't cope with all these women. So he turns himself into a fish and swims away. And he was meant to be the, the first king or the first man in Ireland, if you like. And then this story develops into Another story about this, this great magical fish, the salmon of knowledge. Don't know if you're familiar with that, maybe, but that is then the origin of the salmon of knowledge. But you see again and again in all these stories, constant 
biblical bits being brought in, which probably weren't there in the first place, but everything was, was Christianized. So you have then, of course, with no men in, in Ireland, then after this king turns into a fish and swims away from all his women, there are no more babies and the population dies out. And then Ireland is empty for exactly 273 years, because it's very important to be exact when you're making up a story, of course. So then you have the next peoples coming in and the, the, the new king, Partholone, he brings with him new crops and new animals and introduces the first legal system based on honor price. So the idea is that everybody has a value in society and that if you commit a crime against someone, you have to pay them their honor price or a proportion of that, depending on the severity of the crime. And the king is, is very proud of this, but it all backfires on him because of a woman, of course, because one day he's out hunting and he comes home unexpected and early and finds his wife, the queen, in bed with a servant. And he's very upset, but he says, look, we're going to do this properly. We're going to bring the whole matter to court. I know I could have the servant killed, but I want to be seen as a good ruler. So we'll bring the whole matter to court, which he does. And the judge uh, rules that, yes, the servant has offended the king. He cannot pay the honor price of the king. So therefore the servant will be put to death by the court. But the queen is there too. And she says, hang on a minute, my dear husband, as I see it, it is, in fact, you who should be paying me my honor price because you have neglected me and failed to take care of your property and went off hunting and left me alone. So what was I meant to do? A woman has needs. So the judge said, hmm, you know, the lady has a point and ruled in favor of the queen. And then the king had to pay the queen her honor price and she got to stay on being queen and keep her servant. But like in so many of these stories, as soon as a woman is involved and a woman wins, there is a disaster because everything goes back to the betrayal of Eve. So when that happened, when that judgment was made, a plague came upon Ireland and everybody died. Again, just because of the woman's betrayal. So you, it's... It's a con it gets very annoying, actually. You have women being blamed for everything. Mm -hmm. And the story goes on like that for the next, you know, five peoples. And you come to then the Tuatha Dei Danann, which are the most important ones for Halloween, for Samhain. Because the Tuatha Dei Danann, we say that they were the, the peoples before the Celts in Ireland. And they had all these wonderful gods they had uh, Danu, Dana in the heavens. She was the, the main god. And then you had the three earth goddesses of Era, Banba, and Fola. And they were the ones who looked after the Tua Dei Danan on the earth. And at first, when the, the Tua Dei Danan were in charge, 
you know, they, they, they of course had their struggles with taking over Ireland, but they had so much magic that they thought they were invincible. You know, they had um, magical weapons, magical sword and spear, which anyone who was touched by them would die immediately. And then they had a magical great cauldron. And when dead bodies were put into this, they would come back to life and jump out again. So they were handy to have. So lots and lots of magic and felt they were invincible. So that when the Celts arrived, they beat them back easily at first with all their magic. But the Celts kept coming again and again. And eventually the three earth goddesses, Era, Banba and Fola, they saw that the future of Ireland was Celtic because they could see the future. So they waited on the shore and welcomed the Celts and said, welcome Celts, we see that the future of Ireland is Celtic. So we will give you our blessing if you promise to call this country by our three names forever. So the Celts said, yeah, sure, great. And had their final battle with the Tuatha Dé defeated them and signed an agreement with the Tuatha Dé which said that the Tuatha Dé did not have to leave Ireland, but they were sent to live in the lower half of Ireland. So under the rivers and lakes and in caves, that's where they had to go. And the rule was that they had to stay there except for the darkness between the years. And the darkness between the years, that is a reference to the Celtic New Year, the Feast of Samhain. That was when the Tuatha Dé Danann were allowed out of their hollow hills and could walk among people. And people were afraid of this. The Celts wanted to frighten the Tuatha Dé Danann away back into their hollow hills. So they would light fires and make noise and, you know, scream and shout and try to, to chase the Tuatha Dé back into the hollow hills. So that is where I think a lot of our Halloween tradition comes from. You know, all this bonfires and making noise. And then like so many things, these traditions emigrate to the United States with immigrants over the years and someone in Hollywood hears about it and makes a big film with whistles and bells and bright lights and noises and it comes back to us as, as modern day Halloween. Mm -hmm. So, and the, the Celts of course kept their promise then to the three earth goddesses because, you know, Era, Banba and Fola. If you look at Irish coins and stamps, you'll see the word Era, which is an Irish word for Ireland. And then Banba, meaning a white lady or blonde woman, that was like a, a secret name used to refer to Ireland at a time when, when Ireland actually didn't exist as an independent country. So romantic writers would write about Banba, the white lady. And then Fola is generally believed as a, a person or a personification of the nature of Ireland as a big female Irish wolfhound with lots of puppies. So they're, they're, the names still exist. So the story must be true. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah.
and there, there, there are lots and lots of stories. And, and I suppose the, the center of the, the Celtic festival of Samhain is the, the hill of Ward, you know, in, in County Meath, there, Clachta. And again, this was the place from where you could see so far, and you know, right across to the, to the west of Ireland. And the tradition is, has been reawakened in the last few years. You have great fires at, at the, the Puka Festival, it's called now, at Clachta. Um, so it's, it's a, a tradition that's, that's growing up again. But that, that whole area of, of County Meath is very much associated with the transition period between the Tuatha Dé Danann, you know, the, the little people and, and the Celtic world. And you have monuments like Newgrange, where you had the, the gods of the Tuatha Dé Danann, many of them were meant to live, because you had the, the over-god, if you like, Dana, and then you had lots of, of other gods, many of which were adapted and adopted into the, the Celtic world and even then into the Christian church. So you have a huge sort of vague gray area between all these, these gods and beliefs and traditions. And it, it's, it's very interesting to read all the different versions. I mean, there's the, the wonderful story of the, the god, the Dagda, who was like the, we call him in Irish, the Samuel Donach, the, the, the god like, like Jupiter, I suppose. He, he was the god of everything. The, he was a craftsman and a smith and he could do everything. And he's involved as well in how Ireland was divided into counties, because in Ireland we have you know, 32 different counties. And the story is that the, the god, uh, the Dagda, he lived up in Newgrange and the goddess Boan, the goddess of Ireland's holy river Boyne. Uh, she and her name comes from, from cow, Bo, Boan, meaning maybe bright cow or a blonde cow or the, the source of the cow, something to do with the, you know, the female deity cow. Mm -hmm. And she decided to go up and visit the Dagda up in Newgrange because it wasn't too far from her river. So he just popped up to say hello. And they got on very well. And they spent the night together. And they had a great time. And when the Dagda woke up the next morning, uh, Bowen was gone. So he was, you know, he, he had such a good time, he wanted to meet her again, because she was a nice lady. So he decided to go looking for her. And of course, he was a god. And the more he searched for her, the more frustrated he got and the more excited as well. So that soon a certain part of his anatomy became so big and heavy because he wanted to meet Bowen again that he couldn't even walk properly. He had to crawl on his hands and legs with his enormous appendage hanging down. And as he crossed back and forth across Ireland searching for Bowen, it was actually his appendage that carved out the shapes of the counties of Ireland. Mm -hmm. so that is how Ireland was divided up, which is another nice story. Um, but all these, you know, go back to the association with this magical area of, 
of County Meath and the, the, the fifth province of Ireland, as we, we called it. But there are lots and lots and lots of stories and traditions. And then, of course, the tradition of dressing boys up in dresses when they were little to stop them being stolen by the Tuha de Danan as well. That's, that's another big one. So you wouldn't have boys you know, having trousers till they were maybe eight or nine, just because there was a danger of them being stolen by the she, as we call them, especially around Halloween, because this time of year, the separation between this world and the next was very thin. And you have that reflected again in the thin places and in watery places. That's another big theme for Halloween, that no water should be left inside a house at Halloween because the fairy folk and the Tua de Danon could come up through the water and steal people back into the other world through the water. So you had to stay away from all water um, on Halloween night. And presumably the tradition of, you know, bobbing for apples and all these sorts of things, they have their, their histories in, in some of those traditions. But as I say, there are so many different, different versions. Are there any special questions that you can think of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to your stories and it's so interesting. Oh, uh, listening all the stories and um, lots of the stories, the stories that you, you're telling, I, I didn't know about them. So I'm, I'm listening very and, and really enjoying that. Oh, good. Well, uh, I mean, there are lots and lots and lots. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very difficult to know. There are so many, of course, different versions of every story that it's, it's really very, very difficult to know that. I mean, I can tell you lots more stories. There's the other wonderful story associated with the River Boyne and the, the character of, of, of Ladra from the, the first story, how he became the salmon of knowledge, the fish. Mm -hmm. And the story was that this, this salmon, he swam through all the lakes of Ireland uh, learning about the country and everything. And then he decided he would swim up the Holy River Boyne, where you know, the goddess lives, uh, Boan, and into the pool where the, the river rises. And there he decided to make his home because he was surrounded there by nine magical hazel bushes. And again, the hazelnut is, of course, the big a symbol of, of Samhain as well, because you have the, the production of the, the food basket of the, the hazelnut. So these nine magical hazel bushes, they were huge big bushes, really trees that grew around the pool where the salmon lived. And they were special in that they could take in information through their leaves. So they were like little sort of radar satellite leaves they had and every fact and piece of information and word of wisdom that was spoken in Ireland every year would be caught by the wind and blown around the country 
until eventually it was blown through the leaves of these nine magical bushes. And the leaves of the bushes would soak up the information and take them into the plant and then reproduce them into the nuts. So the nuts then that the bushes produced every year were full of all the wisdom of Ireland for that year. And then the nuts would fall off the bushes into the water where the salmon lived. So the salmon then would eat all the nuts in the course of the year and thereby gaining even more knowledge. So the story was that this was then the most important and intelligent salmon fish in Ireland and whoever could catch and eat the first taste of this fish would acquire all the knowledge and wisdom of Ireland. So of course there were lots and lots of people who had tried to do this but all without success because of course if you think about it if the fish is so clever and the man who is trying to catch it or the person trying to catch it wants to be as clever as the fish he's not going to be able to catch it because the fish is always thinking ahead and is always swum away before you know they could be caught so eventually an elderly man called Finnegus he goes to a witch and uses magic to be able to disguise his thoughts because this fish was so clever that it could do telepathy, like it could read your mind. So there was no hope of ever being able to catch the fish. But Finnegus goes to the witch and gets the ability to disguise his thoughts. So the fish can't read his mind and doesn't know he's trying to catch it. So he then is able to finally catch the fish and is delighted with himself because it's his whole life's ambition to catch the fish and get all the knowledge and wisdom of Ireland. So he brings the fish home to his servant to prepare. And there are many different stories, but in one of them, the servant is a very, very stupid boy called Fionn. And it was said of Fionn that he was so stupid, he didn't even have the wit of a slice of bread. So he was not clever. And he was to cook the fish and prepare it for Finnegus to eat. So he was cooking the fish and he saw a blister rise on the skin of the fish and he thought it was ugly. So he didn't want the, his boss to get an ugly fish. So he stuck his thumb into the blister to burst the bubble. And of course, when he did that, he burnt his thumb and it was sore. So he put his thumb in his mouth and tasted fat from the fish. So he then got the first taste of the salmon of knowledge and acquired all the wisdom. And he realized this because he suddenly worked out the problem. So he decided it was better not to say anything. So he picked up the fish then when it was cooked, brought it in on the plate, put it down in front of Phanagus and got out. But Phanagus saw intelligence in this previously stupid young boy's eyes and knew he tasted the fish. So he got very upset and he jumped around and screamed and shouted and was, was very angry, but he, he then calmed down and said, well, look, isn't it better actually that this stupid young boy 
should get all the intelligence because he needs it badly because he's so thick and he'll live longer and he'll go on to become a great teacher and judge, which he did. And, you know, you have then in, in Irish mythology stories of Fionn, kind of like, a, you know, he's the, the Solomon figure of the Irish myths and legends. And we learned all these stories in school in Ireland. And you learn that, oh, yes, Fionn was so clever. And when he was asked a difficult question, he had to go and sit on a rock and suck his thumb. And then he'd be inspired to answer the difficult question. And we could all relate to that because there were loads of kids in school who'd suck their thumbs. But if you go back to the older sort of pre-mid 19th century version of the story, before you know, W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory and the Celtic Twilight, they, they rewrote a lot of these stories and made them nice. So before that, the version of the story that you read is that when Fionn wants to, you know, be inspired or answer a question, he has to, you know, go and sit on his rock, like they said, put his thumb in his mouth, and then he chews on the skin of the thumb till the skin is gone. And then he chews on the flesh of the thumb till the flesh is gone. And then he will gnaw on the bone of the thumb till the bone is gone. And when he has a little hole in the bone, he can suck the answer to the question from the marrow in the bone, which is a different story, you know, to the plain old, you know, sit in a rock and suck your thumb. It's a much more interesting version of events. And it, it, it shows, you know, this, this idea that the, you know, the hero has to suffer to be a hero. It, it's kind of like, you know, Mission Impossible. It's like, you know, Tom Cruise, he has to go through a lot of difficulties in order to be the hero in the end. And it's, it's only fair and right. Um, so that's very much what the, the message was in those days. But sadly, you know, W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory, they, they rewrote so much and they made it all nice. And they took an awful lot of the, well, I suppose that the sexual innuendo out of the stories as well, because the stuff that was written about women in medieval times was really bad. You know, if you imagine it's a completely male society of scribes and everything that ever went wrong in Ireland or the world ever was the fault of a woman or a number of women. And women were really only after sex. That was all they were about. And you, you have that especially strongly in you know, the Queen Maeve stories. Uh, you've probably heard of, of Queen Maeve, mm. the great queen of, of the rest, west of Ireland. And she, yeah, well, she just caused chaos because she wanted to have everything better than her husband. And again, it's, it's a story of Halloween where you have the, the battle of Queen Maeve is begun on Halloween night because she comes in as the darkness and it goes on for six months until you know she is humiliated by the coming of spring so it, it's again a very complicated story but wonderful and you have the 
the great hero, Ku uh, Cullen, um, who is again the, the symbol of, of light and brightness and uh, in some stories is drawn as a parallel with a comet. So he's very much the symbol of the summer. The, the battle is the struggle between the, the darkness and light between Ku Cullen and Queen Maeve and it, it's it's lovely to look at from so many angles, but the the general sort of gist of the story, if you like, is that this great hero Cúchulainn, who knows Queen Maeve's heroes very well, is forced by her jealousy to kill his friends, basically, and it it goes back really to an argument between a husband and wife, you know, Queen Maeve and her husband Alil. And Queen Maeve is, you can see her as the symbol of, of so much of Mother Earth in a way, but of the darker side. You can see her as the symbol of the Morrigan. If you've heard of the Morrigan, again, mm -hmm. the Morrigan was the sort of the, the negative energy of Halloween as well, you know, coming in and a bit like a Valkyrie, you know, harvesting the heroes, um, causing death, spreading death. So you have her as that as well. But the idea that the the great the great hero uh, Satanta should should or, or Satanta Kuhalan, it's the same person just under different names. That that he his life should be ended by by the jealousy of a woman. And the, the whole reason for it was that Queen Maeve just wanted to have everything better than her husband because she was richer. She was from a wealthier family, but it was her husband who had the title of king. And we're told that one, one day, the, the, the couple, Queen Maeve and Aliel, were lying in their bed uh, comparing their wealth. And Queen Maeve was happy that she had more land, more cattle, more lords at her disposal, more of everything than her husband, except for a bull, that the great um, white bull of Cooley, the white bull of, of, of actually of the west of Ireland, belonged to her husband. And it was his, his one thing that he had, his fertility symbol, his masculinity. And she, she granted him that, but she was jealous as well. She wanted to even take his masculinity. So she secretly sent out messengers around the whole of Ireland looking for a bull that was bigger than her husband's. And nowhere could a bull be found that was finer than her husband's bull. But she heard a rumor that the king of Northern Ireland had such a great bull, a great red bull. So she sent messages to him and asked him if she could buy his bull. And he said no, that it was his symbol of masculinity that this was not going to happen. So she went there herself with a great you know, entourage to impress the king. But he still said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. This is you know, my bull and um, my symbol of masculinity and everything. And then she even offered him the companionship of her thighs. So she offered to sleep with him if he would 
give her the bull, but even that the king said, you know, because he was an honorable man, he said, no, but I can see it means a lot to you. So I will lend you the bull and you can take it back with you for a couple of years and it will have maybe fine children who will also be great bulls. So she was happy with that. They had a great feast, but sadly during the feast, the soldiers on Queen Maeve's side were boasting and saying, if your king hadn't given us the bull, we are stronger, so we would have taken it anyway. So this caused insult. And then the king heard about it and said, okay, no, then you can't have the bull. So a war broke out. And this was meant to be then the beginning of, or, or the war broke out on the Feast of Samhain, the beginning of this six months of war. And you have, you know, darkness creeping into everything. You have the great hero of the north of Ireland, Cúchulain. He had spent time as a child with Queen Maeve's people, where he had been very happy and had made many friends. But now, of course, he is the great hero of the north of Ireland, and he is being forced to kill all his friends because of Queen Maeve's jealousy about the bull. So the story goes through in, in very bloody detail how Cúchulain uh, is forced to kill all his friends, where he has to put the sword into them and what comes out when he takes out the sword and how they die you know, in conversation, you know, crying on each other's shoulders because they love each other so much, but are forced to kill each other by this evil woman. Um, and it, it goes on like that. But then at, at, towards the end of the story, you have Cúchulain has killed everyone. And he is, you know, very badly injured himself. He goes down to a river to wash himself, to wash off some of the blood. But he bleeds so much that the whole river runs red with his blood. And you have a, a, a stoat called in Irish Modrishka coming down to the river and drinking the water. And Cúchulain, his name also means Hound of Cullen. And they, they love adding in little bits, these writers, little bits of sort of confusion and interesting elements. And in this case, they, they put in that because the name Cúchulain means Hound of Cullen, this man Cúchulain was forbidden to harm dogs. And of course, the name of the stoat in Irish is Modrishka, Modarga, which means uh, a water dog, a dog of the sea. And Cúchulain knew this, and without thinking, he is offended by an animal which should have respected him because they shared a name. The animal drinks his blood, and he finds this an offence. So he unthinkingly then kills the animal, the stoat, but then he remembers, oh no, I'm not allowed to kill dogs because my name is dog. So he realizes then that he's going to die because he was told his last act would be the killing of a hound. So with his own intestines, 
he ties himself to a standing stone and takes his sword in his hand so that he wants to die standing up. And Queen Maeve and her coach driver, they are the only two people left of the whole battle. And they're watching this happen. So they wait for him to die. And when the Morrigan, who is the, you know, the female symbol of the end of the year, represented by a raven or a hooded crow, she comes in and lands on Cúchulainn's shoulder and pecks out his eyes. So then Queen Maeve says, Cúchulainn is dead. We now have the dark half of the year. So she sends her servant to cut down the body to desecrate it. But Cúchulainn is dangerous even in death. And when the servant touches the body of Cúchulainn with his spear, Cúchulainn's sword falls out of his hand and cuts off the servant's head. So at the end of it, you're just left with Queen Maeve, desolate and alone. And in all these stories, you know, she's admiring or looking out over the destruction that she's caused just because of her jealousy of her husband. And the, the narrator who's writing this story, the last line of the Toynbo Cunha is, and that's what happens when we men follow the hips of a misleading woman. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's all the woman's fault. It, it's, it's hilarious, but it's very not politically correct. Yeah. Um, but again, you have to just think of the writers, young boys taken away from their mothers, spaced out of their heads on all these strange, you know, dyes and lead that they're inhaling and sitting there in the dark and the freezing cold, writing down these stories and hating women. <laughs> yes. I, they, they were afraid of, of, of women, right? They were terrified of women. <laughs> yes. yes. But it's, it's, it's so much all associated with the Samhain time, this time of year, going back into Mother Earth, going into the feminine, storing the, the feminine inside, and then releasing it again in the summer or in the spring, mm. you know, when you have the, the you know, in, in May, the Imbolc and, and all these, mm. these festivals. How did you celebrate someone? How did we? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, as a tourist guide, you know, I like to bring groups up mm. to Klachta mm. at the Hill of Ward in Meath because it's as real as it gets. You know, you have the great, Celtic centres of Ireland, and Clachta is one of them, Cruchonae is another, and you know, there are really quite a few, and they were probably all in operation at slightly different times, perhaps. You know, the most famous one, of course, is the Hill of Tara, but the Hill of Tara was more associated with spring, and that's why you had the fire lit on Tara. And the, the idea was that only the High King could light the first fire on Tara and only when the, the minor kings on their hills, which were all to the west of Tara, when they saw that fire lighting, then they could light their fires. And that's how the message of spring spread across the country, which is a lovely image. I mean, fire was such an important thing 
in those days. I mean, it's still important now. And for people who live in the country, you know, it's the only light. And we don't remember that now because we're so full of artificial light in our world. You know, we have street lights and our own torches and our telephones and everything is, is light and we disturb the natural darkness. But in those days, you know, fire and the stars and the sun and the moon, they were the only sources of light. So it's a very different relationship with the world. And, and the, even the earth was darker because we had so many trees. You know, we didn't have a lot of cleared land. Um, so you were generally, you know, under trees in, in a lot of cases in, in, in the very you know, earliest of times. So it's just a different, different way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Is there any ritual or celebration that you like to do during this uh, time of the year? Well, lighting fires is, is the sort of the biggest one and making noise mm-hmm. is very popular. That's where you know, bangers come from. Um, bringing in the animals was very important. Again, in some places, driving the animals through smoke to cleanse them, mm-hmm. to protect them from the fairies. That was done twice a year as well, you know, in the spring as well. Then even in sometimes in, in, in the, the height of the, the harvest season at Lunasa as well, there were, were fires. But it's so mixed. You know, all these traditions, they, they seem to overlap with each other. And communication, you know, 2000 years ago, wasn't quite what it is now. So little bits of traditions would be heard about probably by, you know, wandering travelers here and there and would, would move around the country a little bit and change. Um, all, all it's, it's so difficult to know, you know, where is the truth and the origin? Because, you know, we just, we just don't know, you know, it goes back to Africa originally, but uh, you, know, you, can, you can invent your own. And I always say to my groups as well, you know, anyone's story is as good as anybody else's because of the tradition of, of not telling the same story as the story you heard. It was even considered wrong to, to tell, to repeat a story. So it's, it's whatever you're having yourself. Mm-hmm. In Spain, it's very, this, this time of the year is where we, we celebrate by remembering our ancestors. Yes, there is that as well. Uh, the, but that's, that's sort of a Christian influence, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yes. There is, you know, all souls and all saints. And yeah, there was that as well. But I think that is very much the influence of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It was a scary time. And it wasn't so much that we were scared of the ghosts of our ancestors, but scared of the, our predecessors in the country. So the Tuahadei Danan, who came back because they were allowed out of their hollow hills back onto the earth to scare us. And we had to scare them more. Mm-hmm. But th- there is that day of the dead sort of thing going on as well. But I think 
that is probably more of a Christian influence. And where is this, this tradition of wearing costumes is coming from? Yeah, the costumes, again, in some places, it probably goes back to celebrating the harvest. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the, that, the Museum of Country Life in the West of Ireland, you'd have the straw boys. That's, you know, for, for Lunasa as well, you'd have the, the harvesting of straw and they would dress then in straw hats. And some people would even, you know, cover themselves completely in straw costumes. So you'd have straw boys. In some cultures, this developed into the, the building of an enormous straw man or a wicker man. Again, it was done sometimes in summer, but also uh, made out of the, you know, the, the leftovers of the harvest. You'd have stories of huge trees and branches being fashioned together into a human form and then burnt. That was another tradition. In some cultures, we're told that, you know, prisoners were maybe put inside the, the, the burning man to, to be sentenced to death, if you like, so burnt alive. That was another tradition that, that seems to have grown out of that. But how much of it is is very old it's it's difficult to know but then you know what is tradition and what is old because each generation adapts things you know even our language our languages have all developed from well in this part of the world from indo-european mm -hmm. um and you know the differences between you know dutch and flemish you know very small whereas you know, differences between German and Dutch are a little bit bigger and German and English and, you know, Old Norse and Gothic. They all go back to one old Germanic, really, and then eventually to something like an old Sanskrit, proto-Indo-European. Um, and you do notice that even in cultures that are so far away as India, you know, that there are parallels in development of grammar in the Sanskrit language and in Old Irish. So, and even the gods, if you look on the Gundestrup cauldron and you see the image of Xernanos, you know, the seated horned god with the animals in each hand, you know, holding the snake and the, 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 the marsupial of some sort or the mammal. It's, it's really not that far off, you know, Shiva Sitivatu, you know, the horned Shiva mm -hmm. with the animals. Yes. So it's, it all has a common root. And if you start looking at the, you know, the you know, Indian stories and even, you know, as far out as, as, as Tibet, you have very similar themes. Again, the whole bullfighting, the chasing the bull, mm -hmm. the Minos, the Minoan uh, traditions and cultures, you know, how far is that from the great bullfight of, of you know, Queen Maeve? Mm -hmm. and, and if you go into more detail on that story I was telling you about, you know, Queen Maeve and the finding the greatest bull in Ireland, it really has a lot of, you know, the whole Minos or Minoan 
sorry, Mithras cult in it, you know, the, the great bull fight where, but in Ireland, just to make it an, a little more complicated and develop it even more, it isn't the, that the people hunt the great bull. It is that the, the two great bulls fight each other uh, at the end of the story of Queen Maeve, because the matter is not solved by humans. It's left then to the to the two bulls to sort out. So you have this graphic revolting story of how the two bulls fight for days and days mm -hmm. and which bull sticks its horns where into the other bull and how much blood comes out. And at the beginning of the story, one bull is brown and one bull is white. But very soon, both of them are so covered in blood that you can't tell which is which. But at the end of it, the story, one bull wins and is so proud and delighted to have beaten the other bull and proven that he is the greatest bull in Ireland, that he lifts the carcass of the dead bull up on his horns and gallops all around Ireland to show that he is the strongest. But this is so exhausting for him that his heart explodes and he dies. So at the end of it, none of the bulls <laughs> prove that they are the greatest because they're all dead. But again, it's, you know, you have Spanish bullfighting, you have um, the, the Mithras cult, you know, in, in Greece and the, the, the Minotaur and all that. It, it all goes back to a, to a common source. You know, the, the holy cows in India, the holy cows in Ireland, the idea, even on its very simplest level, the holy river of Ireland, the Boyne, bow, bow being the word for cow, boina, blonde cow, bright cow, compare that to the Ganges in India, coming from the Sanskrit word Ganga. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, holy cow rivers uh, throughout Indo-Europe. Uh, it, it's it's interesting to to look at these things. Yeah, it is very interesting. Mm. Mm. But what does it prove, really? We don't know. Um, could it have been a single traveler? You know, I've had groups on my tour bus who have been quite convinced that um, they were all here in previous lives, and you know, there were. King Arthur and Queen Guinevere have been on my bus and they told me where they buried King mm -hmm. Arthur's body and, and Excalibur. Um, great. And, and some of these people, they seem to know so much mm -hmm. and we might think, oh, that's very odd. But when, when people who, you know, have special stories like this that you think are strange, suddenly you realize, oh yeah, well, you know, that's, that's a bit possible. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> Maybe they have been handed down something from somewhere or seen something before. Mm -hmm. But this is the time of year for it. Because when the, the portals between this world and the previous one or the next, whichever way you like to look at it, mm -hmm. are thin, and that water, the surface of the water, is the, the border between this world and the world of the Tuatha Dé Danann, then. Anything is possible. 
And this is why we like this time of year so much. Yeah, you only need to believe that everything is possible. <laughs> yeah, is possible. exactly. Yeah, because you're, it's like you're putting your hand into the water, you're going through the looking glass, yeah. like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, and is yeah. it then when the, the veil with, between the worlds is very yes. thin, right? The very, the veil between the worlds is very thin and even, you know, even gone. And you have the two worlds then coming together mm. and lots of stories as well. And even just to go into very detail of there's one particular flat topped mountain in, in the in the west of Ireland called Nathan, Nathan Mountain, Nathan Mountain. And the story is in, in the locality that on Halloween night that the old heroes of the Tuatha de Danann and the old heroes of the Celts play a magical game of hurling on the top of the mountain every Halloween. But I've been there in Halloween. I've looked up, but it's always been too foggy and misty to be able to see anything. So I'm afraid I've never actually seen it myself. Mm -hmm. it's, it's nice and every area would have their own you know little Halloween traditions and mm -hmm. that's that's what keeps it interesting but so many of these things are being lost so it's important that you know folklorists go out and collect things especially stories where the women were powerful <laughs> yes well, women were were powerful and, and you have that not just in Ireland but in Iceland in all those cultures in, in Scandinavian culture, because in, in the Viking world, and there's a huge influence of Vikings, obviously, in, in Ireland, the men were not at home a lot. They were off raiding, having fights. So, of course, the women controlled everything. Um, it's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's logical. But it, the, also the, the system of inheritance in Ireland was not purely, you know, in the, in the male line, you had the most able member of the clan inheriting the title of chieftain. So it didn't have to be a man, it usually was, but a number of, of references you get in, in Irish history and these, these legends and myths to queens and, and women being the more powerful one. The, the classic example is, of course, Queen Maeve, but also, so, uh, Gráinne Mhaile, you know, Queen Gráinne of, of, of Galway, of the islands out there, and the story of her, I mean, she, she only li lived in about the late 16th, early 17th century, and she's the one who went to have the famous conversation with Queen Elizabeth I in London, and uh, a... Queen Elizabeth I had made such a, an effort to, um, to learn a little bit of Irish, we're told. Uh, and the Gronin Whale allowed her to do this and then said, but of course we can speak Latin. Because you know, of course she was a very educated woman from a, a royal family and leader of her clan. Of course she'd been educated in Latin. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a nice little, little extra there where, where you had the two queens meeting but the story of Gwanyin Whale and how she was selected to be queen. She had always been quite a bully to her brothers, and it was clear to her father and to her family that she was the, the sort of the most able of the children. And also 
she had, um, what had she done? She'd beaten up one of her brothers in a fight and she was being punished by being made to stay at home by her mother. So as an act of rebellion, she cut off her hair to make her look like a boy because she knew this would embarrass her family. So in order to save her mother embarrassment, her father, the Lord, brought her away with him on one of his pirate missions just to get her out of the house. And she was a huge success on the boat and got on very well with the sailing. And he also realized that she had inherited his ability to give a weather forecast. Mm -hmm. She could tell by looking at the waves that there was going to be a storm. So her father was very impressed, but he was also frightened because it meant that it was his daughter and not his sons who were going to inherit uh, the title, which was just a, a problem for him. But he, he got used to the idea after a while and she went on to become a great uh, queen and ruler. So there are, there are references to that, all right. But it was just the, the, the requirement really was the most able member of the clan was the one who, who would be given the leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, again, the descriptions of the initiation ceremonies in the Irish you know, kingship and lordship are probably a bit corrupted by Christian propaganda. Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, stories of how the most beautiful mare or stallion, depending mm -hmm. on whether the, the ruler to be was male or female. If you had a male ruler coming, you'd have the most beautiful female horse in the kingdom would be brought and there would be a, an initiation rite involving the symbolic mating of the, the young king with the mare representing Mother Earth. This mare would then be slaughtered and a great stew made out of her flesh, blood and milk, which then all those present would have to eat. And that would be a sort of a symbolic of the, yeah, the, the pairing of the new king with the land and then the acceptance of his kingship mm -hmm. by the, the lords. And then, of course, if the, the new lord was a woman, if it was a, a queen, she would have to then perform this ritual with a stallion and he would then be, be slaughtered, presumably, as well. So it was a, a sort of a bonding with nature uh, symbol thing, all very strange. But again, it may have been Christian propaganda. Another thing the Christians did when they came in quite early was ban the consumption of horse flesh because Irish people used to eat horse flesh meat before that. But this was banned as being unchristian already in the 6th, 7th, 8th century probably. But again, in the 16th century, it had to be banned again. So the presumption is that it went on and that maybe even this, this inauguration rite of kings and queens continued as well. So it was an, an interesting angle to look at things from. Mm. Thank you, Martin. So Those are very interesting stories. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, there are lots and lots. And again, as I say, the best thing to do is to find a style of book you like mm -hmm. and, and read it. Uh, so many different versions of all these stories. Though I must say that do try to go back to the older versions mm -hmm. because the modern ones are very often based on the, you know, the Celtic twilight movement, mm -hmm. which always represented women as holy and good and basically all women were nuns mm -hmm. and um, took away all the, the juicy bits, mm -hmm. if you like. So um, the earlier you can go back, the better. And this is the time of the year. I like this as a time of year to, to plant the seeds for, yes. for what I want to, uh, to create, you know, for yes. the oh, spring. Yes. And... Yeah, no, it's a great time of year. I have collected many hundreds of hazelnuts now, and I'm going to go and get lots of uh, pine cones as well and mm. plant lots of Scots pine and hazel just for the squirrels because red squirrels are coming back. Mm -hmm. Uh, in Ireland in a big way and so we have to encourage them by building little squirrel places. Yeah I, I like this time of the year when you start to see that the, the, well the, 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 the leaves of the trees fall in mm. the colors more kind of orange and yeah. rose. It's a very and pretty time of year. And... It's time to be inside and connect more with yourself Yes. And be with yourself. In yeah. summertime, is more kind of social. Yeah. Social time when you socialize, you're more outside of yourself, socializing. Yeah. And this time of the year is more, for me, it's more about being with myself and being uh, cozy at home. Yeah. It's reflective. It's reflective time, one, yes. One would like to be a hobbit and just go into a hobbit hole mm -hmm. and be cozy. Yes. And, but it's also, it, it is the exciting time of going out and, you know, collecting nuts and seeds mm -hmm. to plant again in the spring. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, a big, big part of this time. This is what I'm going to be doing now in the next couple of weeks, going down to some of the oldest woodlands in Ireland yeah. and taking seeds from there to, to spread and plant. It's also time for mushrooms, collecting. Yes. I like picking up mushrooms. Yes. <laughs> And for drying the mushrooms and yeah. making, you know, cranberry sauce or cranberry juice and uh, taking in the, the holunda berries, all, all the berries really, you know, cloud berries and um, the sambucus berries mm -hmm. and making all these nice potions that we can then drink in the winter when we have colds yes. to make us healthy again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Would well, be fun to, to just live for a year on, on yes. nuts. <laughs> yeah. But thank you very much, Martin, for all your knowledge that you shared yeah. today. You're very welcome. I hope that was the sort of thing you'd like to hear. Mm. And like you say, there's lots, lots more uh, and so many different versions of it. So one can search around. And, and find find out about all these these gods and goddesses and mm -hmm. how Halloween developed and was used and mm -hmm. turned into a Christian festival. Yeah. And all these people. It's all very interesting how the wheel of the year is, the stories are changing, depending yeah. on who is yeah. ruling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
exactly yeah 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 and and then especially how the parallels in the biblical world how the bible little bits of biblical messages were put into all these mm. pre-christian traditions just to make it all you know connected to the bible yes make us yeah. feel part of it yeah i think it's interesting to to hear those stories yeah. because it makes you um realize how 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 the how was um the, the power was uh, influencing the the stories and the culture and and we learn by stories so yeah. Oh, yeah. the culture of uh, telling stories was very big in mm. in those times and yeah. and people oh. learn by listening to stories and uh, it's interesting i, I find yeah. it interesting well, it's the time of year for it you know when it's getting darker sit mm -hmm. in by the fire and tell stories mm. yeah it's the thing to do yeah yes well thank you martin for your time You're very very welcome for your interesting stories I hope this inspires lots of people to go out and read more stories and tell more stories yes. and even adapt the stories to suit you mm. because everyone should add their own creativity to the stories and, you know, try also to remember stories you might have heard in your own different cultures and try to fit them in together because, you know, we all came from the same place originally. And it's, it's fascinating to even look at similarities between this part of the world, you know, and South America, you know, so far apart, but connected on some level. Yeah. Yeah. We're all connected. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, thank you, just, Martin. Yeah, you're very welcome. Okay. And thank um, you, everyone. Um, and remember, it is your choice. To, to live your life in your own terms, to make your own decisions, to look for solutions and opportunities, and, um, and feed your mind with empowering messages. Yes. Uh, for more inspirational conversations, uh, check flowerofLifepodcast.com.